three, two, one, and we are live. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Jonathan Kogan Show. I'm your host, Johnny K. Is the U.S. dollar dead? Well, that is what we're going to look into in great detail. We, if you don't know about the Bank of International Settlements, the BIS, that's one of the most important things to know about, the New Development Bank, which is basically a, let's say, a competitor to this international bank, which, by the way, the bankers that are part of the BIS have literally full immunity for like anything they do. They also don't under, they, they don't fall under any jurisdiction for legal trouble. So they just do whatever they want, you know, because it's, they're bankers. They should be trusted. Of course, of course, because no wars are banker wars. That's crazy. Um, so first we need to development bank created by BRICS countries to support economic growth across BRICS countries and beyond the first multilateral development bank built by developing economies for developing economies. People are just fed up with the United States bowling their way around since 1992, since the fall of the Soviet Union. They've essentially been the global hegemonic power of the world. We have. I mean, I'm in America. That's just what it is. It is, it is what it is. We just call things objectively on here. We don't have twist. We don't have political views. We just talk about the facts. We educate and we share knowledge. And that is what we do. So let's get into the facts first. You know, I don't know what just happened. So if, it, if the audio was weird like 10 seconds ago, just ignore it. Just ignore it. No big deal. So this is a tweet uh, from Mark Moss, uh, which is very good. He says, the dollar is dead. Everyone is trading in yuan, exclamation point, exclamation point. But only 1.33% of global payments were in yuan in January compared with 40% in U.S. dollars, 38% in euros, 7% in pounds, and 3% in yen. And the world's central banks hold around 60% of their reserves in USD. So he also says, yes, the USD is under a global coordinated attack, which is by these BRICS countries. Yes, de-dollarization is real. People are unloading their treasuries. Yes, all fiat goes to zero. It just doesn't happen overnight. When the USD took over the pound, which was the last world order, um, it took approximately 30 years. But we know in today's day and age, with information that travels so quickly, and just the world we're in, where, where geopolitical uh, events happen so fast that if you literally sleep in the next day, you might miss like an alliance between like Iran and Saudi Arabia because that just happens like every other day. No big deal. It's just a, you know, another day, just another day around here, just another day in this crazy, crazy world. So, um, and I want to go to the second tweet here, which explains the fundamental problem, which I've been telling you of all this chaos going on is a cover up for a financial system that is broken. And George Gammon tweeted this out. The core problem today isn't the banks. It's the fact that the monetary system is broken. It's like the foundation of a house is cracked and shifting. When a load bearing wall breaks, the house collapses. Everyone says the wall caused the house to fall when really it was the bad foundation. So structurally, we have an issue, okay? Houston, we have a problem. Houston, what if it was Dallas? No, not important. Okay, so uh, where should we start here? There's a lot to get into here. I'm going to play some of the video from the Bank of International Settlements where they just say what they're going to do right in front of your face because they know you're a peasant and you can't do anything about it. But little do they know that we are creating parallel structures, parallel systems. We're becoming our own central banks, okay? We are going around the system. We're creating new ways to exchange value, whether it is Bitcoin, whether it is gold 
I don't know, back currency, something like that. Who knows? Um, but let's play the, uh, so let me play the very first video. Uh, oh, and by the way, the most important part we get into, which I'll play this video, which is Project Icebreaker. It was four weeks ago from the Bank of International Settlements. They put it on their website, four minutes, 46 seconds, Project Icebreaker. So we're going to get a Project Icebreaker after, um, let's do a little background first. Let's give you some context of where the BIS came from, how it came to be, why it's still here. Um, you know, I couldn't find a lot of great videos on this. However, I got one for you. Okay. So it's a couple minutes long. It's called the BIS IMF and World Bank with Sam Callahan um, on the Investors Podcast, I believe. The Investors Podcast Network. So this is the best one I could find. It gives you enough context. And uh, let me slow it down because I listen to things very quickly. Um, and here you go. A lot of it is and how there's no auditability to go in. Oh, Wait a second. I played it the wrong part. What's going on? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was the wrong one. All right. So I'm going while I pull up the other one, which is right here. Uh, this is the correct one. And this is really the foundation why the BIS exists, where it came from. And let's give you some background in case you didn't know. Went back to the Treaty of 1919, uh, the Versailles Treaty to end World War One. It's amazing that how poorly that treaty was made and how many uh, after effects was caused by it. It was a very emotional treaty. There wasn't a lot of logic to it because they basically put all the blame of World War I on the losers on Germany and they made them pay outrageous war reparations. And it was very, very uh, uh, unpayable for Germany because they went back and they had no productive capacity. Their, their land was destroyed. Uh, their labor force was killed off. Millions died. And there's just no way that they could pay back these unreasonable war reparations set up by that treaty. And so what, what followed was the Weimar hyperinflation <laughs> because they tried to prick their way out of it. And they tried to, they were just they had these war reparations and they were trying to rebuild. And the easiest thing to do was print money. Right. Um, and so once they stabilized um, in, in about 1924, when they had, they created a new uh, currency called the Rettenmark and they, they started to stabilize. Well, something was happening across the ocean and that was the roaring 20s and everyone was making money over there and they saw Germany stabilizing and Americans thought, you know, I'm going to buy low and sell high in Germany. I'm going to go invest all my money over in Germany. It's Germany. They're the worst is behind them. How could they not rebuild? So they pile money. All these American investors pile money into Germany. And then, of course, 1929 happens and the stock market crashes and all those foreign investments dry up. And then suddenly Germany's in another terrible situation where they're worried that they're going to have another Weimar hyperinflation event. And coming out of that was a uh, kind of uh, nations got together at the Hog Convention and they, they realized that to facilitate these war reparations and to rebuild Germany, they first had to uh, kind of restructure these war reparations so it was more reasonable but then also they wanted to create a bank, a neutral bank that worked above the law that could kind of facilitate loans to help rebuild Germany, to help stabilize it, and then to help facilitate the war reparations. And that's how the biz was born. Was It was just because of these war reparations, <laughs> amazingly. And so that's how they all agreed to basically give all these legal protections to this neutral bank because they thought it would be a really good idea and now we fast forward, you know, 90 years later or almost 100 years later, and they're still in existence because they're so legally protected. And so that's kind of how they came to be. 
So um, I think it's really relevant uh, to call out that no one is above the law. No one is above the law except central bankers. They're above the law. Of course they're above the law. You know, the talking point in today's political world is no one is above the law. Everybody repeat now. No one is above the law. What about the central bankers? They are above the law, but nobody else is above the law. You see how this works? You see how this works? Control the money, control the world. Okay. They knew that 50 years ago. They knew that a hundred years ago. All right. There's so many good content on this. So, so now what I want to play is when I came across the biz, how he refers it, the Bank of International Settlements, this immune, um, uh, uh, financial consortium that can basically do whatever they want, which is the central bank of central banks where they have full immunity and yet they control the money. So there's no liability. So just do what you want to control the world. It doesn't make a lot of sense here. You would think that they should have the most liability. If you're controlling something so important to society, you should think that there should really be some internal controls in place to perhaps eh, maybe a banker gets a little too crazy. Maybe a, a few of them are like, Hey, we want to, you know, force this country to do that or force the world to do this. And let's play around with the financial system. You would think there'd be controls in place, but perhaps that I'm a little old fashioned. I'm a little old fashioned. I'm a millennial. I'm old fashioned. Okay. So, uh, the, so when, when the central bankers tell you, and by the way, another title, which I'm going to play right now of one of the business, uh, videos, uh, this year, nine months ago was called the future monetary system. That's what the video is called the future monetary system. And what this guy talks about, he's like the head economist for the bank of international settlements. What he mainly talks about is how bad Bitcoin is and how it can't be trusted and decentralization is evil. And it, it's not real money. You must trust the only thing that is real money, which is fiat currency or central bank digital currency that is controlled by central banks. If central banks do not have control, it is not real. Okay. If central banks aren't at the center of the financial monetary system, then it cannot work. It's impossible. Central bankers are the most reliable people you have ever known. They care about your grandchildren more than they care about themselves. Okay. They're really philanthropic capitalists, as Bill Gates says. It's a term that he coined. They care about the world so much they want to make as much money as possible. Okay, so the future monetary system is the title of the uh, of the uh, the video. It's 21 minutes, 58 seconds. I'm going to play his conclusion, but basically talk about how bad Bitcoin is and it cannot be trusted. And the only thing that can be trusted is something that is made from the central bank because the central bank has credibility and they're good people and they love you. That's basically what he says, different words, but that's basically what he says. So here's his conclusion to his speech of the future monetary system. Take a listen. Central banks, as guardians of the monetary system, are embarked on a long journey in fulfilling the vision of the future monetary system. And here the objective is to put in place the arrangements that anticipate future developments rather than merely to react to past developments. So while the crypto universe is gripped by turmoil and attracting all the headlines, uh, it is incumbent on us in the central bank community to look beyond the headlines and to think about this longer term goals. Thank you very much. Wow. The central bank community. Hmm. Do you think that's like a Patreon like type account, like a, a circle.so type community? What do you think it is? You think it's a little YouTube community? How do you get into the central bank current uh, community? Does your last name have to be like Rockefeller or like Chase or Diamond? 
Or do you have to be a king, a queen, a monarch? I mean, what's the deal here? I never got the invite, okay? I don't know why, okay? Perhaps because peasants aren't allowed, which is why we must create parallel societies and parallel systems that work in our best interest. If you think that that man and the central bank community, the central bank community, do you, I bet you every event at the central bank community that they have, every event is black tie. I guarantee every single event is black tie. Okay? It has to be. You know why? Because they must price out the peasants. They know peasants can't can't dress black tie. They know that we we just don't do black tie. Okay? Why? Because we are loyal to our people. All right? That's not why at all. But you understand what I mean. They're very pretentious. I guess is the right word. So, anyways, now they had a uh, video and a discussion panel with uh christina longa with basically everybody all the central bankers okay the ecb that's where she's from uh and all the other central banks in the world and they're talking about cbdc's keeping momentum in uncertain times i still can't get it out of my mind i know i said this so many times i find this just so funny that when he's so good on so many topics and then all of a sudden he got like tipped off like all of a sudden he got captured by by the deep state or the government or something i don't know what the word is but by i don't know uh someone that's controlling this whole shtick and like all right now you're gonna give out propaganda for for us okay peter zion and he has good youtube videos and has great content i enjoyed his book but now he's just so off the rails when, and then he goes on joe rogan like a month ago or two months ago and, and joe rogan goes yeah what do you think about cbdc's he goes that's a conspiracy theory for all those conspiracy theories monsters and now i'm looking at two days ago the bank of international settlements posts a video of uh not only uh project icebreaker which we'll get into in a second but literally the one i'm about to play here which is cbdc's keeping momentum in uncertain times that's what it's called that's the name of the video Oh, these conspiracy theorists are doing their own research. How dangerous. It's ludicrous. I can't believe you did that on Joe Rogan. I God, I feel bad. He had he had really good knowledge. Now I you know now you gotta take it with a grain of salt. Or pepper. It doesn't matter. Let's play first Project Icebreaker. So you're gonna start hearing more about Project Icebreaker. I feel like I'm the first one that found this, so I want to pat myself on the back. I told some other YouTubers to cover it, but this is also on the bit biz Bank of International Settlements site. This is their video. And literally the video is just called Project Icebreaker. So Project Icebreaker is breaking new paths in cross-border payments with retail CBDC, which basically, so there's retail CBDC and wholesale. Wholesale is like cross-border settlements, like gargantuan payments, like for oil and all that stuff. That'll be settled. That'll be an atomic settlement where it's instantaneous. And that is central bank digital currencies. Wholesale retail is for you, your everyday spending, okay, with your social credit score and how to combine those and then tell you that you can't eat meat and you can't travel. You've used too much of a carbon footprint. Oh, my God, you're too much of a carbon footprint, period. We need to get rid of you. We need to get rid of your family, all that stuff, you know, that fantastic stuff. Okay, here's Project Icebreaker, just so you know, this is from their mouth, not mine, from their mouth. Here we go. Communicating or sending large amounts of data around the world is cheap and easy. But sending money to another country is usually expensive and slow. The way money travels across the globe relies on many intermediaries, increasing the complexity, time and cost of transactions. One of the main difficulties is that most payment systems are designed for domestic payments, not for international payments, and often do not communicate with similar systems in another country. 
The reasons for this vary, for example, due to differences in legislation and technical systems and different working hours in various countries. The development of central bank currencies, CBDCs, and the underlying technologies that can be used could offer a solution. CBDCs used between consumers and merchants are known as retail CBDCs. Retail CBDCs could offer advantages such as faster transactions, more competition in payments, lower risks, and safety in the form of central bank money. Countries around the world are researching and experimenting with retail CBDCs with many pilots underway. The central banks of Israel, Norway and Sweden have joined forces with the BIS Innovation Hub Nordic Center in Project Icebreaker, which aims to explore how retail CBDC systems can be linked together to enable efficient international payments. Project Icebreaker is exploring a specific model linking national retail CBDC systems together. The Icebreaker Hub routes payments and allows national CBDC systems to talk to each other, despite being based on different technologies. In this project, different distributed ledger technologies used by each country for their proof-of-concept CBDC systems were connected to the Icebreaker Hub. Let's see how this works. Say Alice in Stockholm wants to send money to Noah in Tel Aviv to pay for a camera she bought online. When she enters Noah's payment address and the amount into her mobile app, why, the ice why has it got to be Noah? Like Noah's Ark? That, I mean, I'm just sorry. It's just these names. I feel like they pick the names like, like they're stereotyping people. What's going on here? Breaker Hub helps her find the best available exchange rate. This is calculated from the rates foreign exchange providers submit to the Icebreaker Hub. Alice's payment is then broken down into two payments, one in Swedish e-krona to a foreign exchange provider in Sweden and another in Israeli digital shekels from the foreign exchange provider in Israel to Noah. These two payments are coordinated using a form of digital escrow known as a hash time locked contract, HTLC. The payment from Alice to the foreign exchange provider will only be released if the foreign exchange provider has paid Noah. If no foreign exchange provider can exchange Swedish e-krona for Israeli digital shekels, the icebreaker hub will find a bridge currency, for example, Norwegian krona, that can be exchanged for both Swedish e-krona and Israeli digital shekels, and will use that to bridge the gap. Swedish e-krona are exchanged for Norwegian krona, which is in turn exchanged for Israeli digital shekels. The hub will always choose payment path that is cheapest for the payer. The benefits of the model demonstrated in the project are it enables cross-border interoperability, allowing systems with different technologies to talk to each other in a standardized way. It reduces settlement and counterparty risk by the use of coordinated payments in central bank money. It allows increased competition and choice for consumers by decoupling payers from specific foreign exchange providers, as well as through the use of bridge currencies. It helps reduce costs. It helps achieve increased cross-border reach. It is scalable, easily connecting the systems of many countries. It is fast. Transactions take just seconds to complete. And CBDC does not need to leave a national CBDC system. Project Icebreaker has demonstrated that central banks can implement different technologies for their national CBDC systems that meet their needs and enable cross-border payments with minimal requirements. 
Further areas of work are still necessary, but the lessons so far can guide central banks when designing their national retail CBD. So they're not even hiding it. Okay, this isn't hiding. This isn't conspiracy. I'm so sick of that. That just means that you're ahead of the game and you know the truth. Okay, that's what's going on here. Let's not kid ourselves. Okay, this is it. This is the last domino, baby. You get central bank digital currencies and you have full surveillance from the security state and all the governments have full control. You got tyranny forever. I mean, let's call it what it is. All right. This information has to get out there. We have to talk about the truth. That's what we do. That's what we care about. And people are still asleep at the wheel and we are running out of time. So, uh, so there are, I mean, there's big news going on everywhere that is unprecedented, unprecedented. Like, let's just talk about Bloomberg. Okay. Here's the headline. China's yuan replaces the dollar as the most traded currency in Russia. Cooperation with China has deepened as sanctions took effect. Kremlin urges conversion from toxic to friendly currencies. What do you think is happening when you see the United States weaponize the U.S. dollar and freeze Russia's assets and all that stuff in the big? What do you think other countries are saying? They're like, we don't want to get caught up in that. We don't want that issue. No. So we're going to start looking for alternatives. We're going to diversify. We're going to get out of that system. Okay. Which brings me, I'm going to get to the new development bank. I'm going to play their first video that introduces them. That's from year from like a decade ago. Now it's relevant because now you're going to see a more prominent role in society from the new development bank. But I want to read a tweet that actually relevantly came today from Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Um, of all people, who, by the way, was just announced just now that he is running for president. What are your thoughts? We don't have thoughts. We're not political, but he's running for president. So I hear um, the AP reported that, that he filed the right paperwork. Okay. So here's this tweet that came out literally today. I'm going to quote it. The Fed just announced it will introduce its quote, Fed now central bank digital currency, CBDC in July. CBDCs greased the slippery slope to financial slavery and political tyranny. While cash transactions are anonymous, a CBDC will allow the government to surveil all private financial affairs. The central bank will have the power to enforce dollar limits on our transactions, restricting where you can send money, where you can spend it, and when money expires. A CBDC tied to a digital ID and social credit score will allow the government to freeze your assets or limit your spending to approve vendors if you fail to comply with arbitrary diktats, if that's the right word, for example, vaccine mandates. The Fed will initially limit its CBDC to interbank transactions, but we should not be blind to the obvious danger that this is the first step in banning and seizing Bitcoin as the Treasury did with gold 90 years ago today in 1933. Watch as governments, which never let a good crisis go to waste, use COVID-19 and the banking crisis to usher in a new wave of central bank digital currencies as a safe haven from germ-laden paper currencies or as protection against bank runs and then links to CNBC. All right, you're getting some prominent figures trying to help people wake up here. I mean, what would you, you, this is happening in real time. It's happening in real time. So um, I'm going to play... Uh, let me play the minute 40 or actually, no, we're going to go first on, um, the big innovation summit. This was, this literally was CBDCs. Keep in mind, I'm in uncertain times. I've told you that title. It was posted two days ago from the bank of international settlements. It's very long. It's, well, it's 47 minutes. And they asked her the question, uh, the ECB president, uh, European central bank, they asked her what they thought, uh, you know, the public is worried about privacy and being surveyed. 
you know, is that a concern? Why should that be a concern? The central bank wouldn't, no one would ever do anything wrong with central bank digital currencies, would they? No chance. Here's what she said. That um, the public is particularly concerned about privacy. All the, the surveys that we've conducted, the, uh, uh, the client focus group, the, uh, uh, the reaching out exercises that we've conducted have all said the same thing. People are concerned about their privacy and there is that you know, anxiety of a big brother central bank having access to data. And I think that's not a very well-grounded concern. And I'll try to explain to you why. A central bank has zero interest in using the personal data of the clients of the banks, because as Francois indicated, the banks will be the natural intermediaries that will actually be operating what is legally required in terms of anti-money laundering, countering the financing of terrorism, and know your customer uh, re regulatory requirements. The central bank is not going to do that. So the central bank is not interested in data. The central, a central bank does not want to monetize data. On the other hand, you know, some of the uh, big tech companies that are considering venturing in the field of stable coins in particular have a great interest in using, collecting, handling, and analyzing data on a grand scale and monetizing it. So I think the, 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 the anxiety is misplaced in relation to a central bank and should be more concerned about what use is made of um, personal data and information by some of those large tech companies. Additional point, banks, commercial banks, of course have a lot of data. And when we receive you know, our reports, we know exactly how much we spent on food, how much we spent on traveling, how much we spent on entertainment, because our banks are telling us essentially. So those data are available, analyzed, and are of service. It's a question of governance. How is, how is it used? Is it monetized? Is it then you know, commercialized in some, in some shape or form? But it is not in the interest and in the business of a central bank to actually um, do anything, mess around with data. Is it going to be as private as cash? No. So a digital currency will never be as anonymous and as protecting of privacy in many respects uh, as cash, which is why cash will always be around. You know, if people want to use cash in some countries or in some transactions, cash should be available. A digital currency is an alternative, is an other means of payment and, uh, and will not provide exactly the same level of privacy and anonymity as cash, but will be pretty close in terms of complete neutrality in relation to the data. Now, we are looking uh, at, um, you know, what would be sort of under the baseline of what we're exploring at the moment. We're looking at options to make this digital currency that we call cash plus, mm. almost cash, with really almost the same level of anonymity and privacy as, as cash. And this is work in progress, which I hope we will have, uh, you know, developed further uh, before next October. Can I make one more point? Absolutely. I, I just want to draw one, one, one distinction because both um, 
Ravi and Chongyong have spoken very, very eloquently and very uh, intelligently about the programmability of a digital currency. I just want to draw the line between what I understand to be programmability of a digital currency issued by a central bank and alternative um, provisions. For us, the issuance of a digital currency that would be central bank money would not be programmable would not be associated with any particular limitation, whether it's in time, in type of use. That, that, that to me would be a voucher. It wouldn't be digital currency. Those who can associate the use of digital currency with programmability would be the intermediaries, would be the commercial banks. And that's their business. They know how to do that. But if we are to say that a dollar is a dollar, whether it's cash or digital, or a euro is a euro, cash or digital, then it, it, for us, it cannot be programmable. It can be associated with conditionalities, which is different, but not programmable. Mm -hmm. So she's telling you two things. She's telling you not to trust everything you know about Bitcoin or go to learn about Bitcoin or about decentralization and that you're misplacing your mistrust. You need to put that over Bitcoin and not the central banks because the central banks wouldn't do anything. They'll always be cash, which by the way, if there is, there's probably gonna be cash. Like right now you have to report, I think everything on Venmo, like of, at $600 and as inflation builds up and there, and, and we, and we keep inflating our debt away, at least in the West, because we have so much debt. So we, there's only one way out or there's a few ways out, but one of the ways out is inflating that debt away you're going to have inflation, perhaps even hyperinflation. And if that occurs, then basically if you buy a loaf of bread, you're going to have to report that too. So really using cash will not be any different. There's no privacy with that also. So will it be like cash? And she says, nope, which because it's completely anonymous, those days are over. Okay. The article on uh, the WF's website was, I own nothing. I have no privacy and I've never been happier. 2016. That was what they wrote. I have no privacy. You've never been happier. You've never been happier. So this is happening in real time. They're taking advantage of the crisis, just like they do with every other crisis. Okay. This is a changing world order. Which way it goes, we do not know yet, but we see a lot. We, a lot of countries, a lot of countries are pulling together to form an alliance against the United States. That's what, that's what's happening. That's what's happening right now. Okay. You're seeing that all over the world. Okay. Saudi Arabia, Iran, China, Russia, Brazil, perhaps even Mexico, all these countries that want to get into BRICS. And so you're going to see a lot more of the, of the NDB, the New Development Bank. And so I'm going to play their first video 10 years ago, which now is relevant because now they're going to be a player on the main stage. It's probably going to be a parallel system. It's probably not going to take the US dollar out, but it will relocate more funds. So here's how it works. It's called NDB, filling in infrastructure financing gap in its member countries. A minute, 46 seconds. BRICS New Development Bank, or NDB, is an international financial institution jointly established by BRICS countries Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. At the sixth BRICS Summit in 2014, BRICS countries agreed to set up a development bank based in Shanghai. And in July 2015, the bank formally opened. At the inauguration, China's finance minister, Lo Jiwei, that the bank serves as a new platform for South-South cooperation and facilitates economic cooperation between developing countries. The NDB has an initial authorized capital of $100 billion, 
and a subscribed capital of $50 billion equally distributed among the five countries. The president of a bank shall be elected from one of the founding members on a rotation basis and will serve a five-year term. Indian private banker K.B. Kamath has been appointed as the first head of the bank. The bank only includes BRICS countries at the moment, but has a combined population of 42.6% of the world's population and a land area of a third of the world. In the NDB, the five BRICS countries cooperate based on the principle of equality. The NDB sold its first UN-denominated bonds worth 3 billion UN, or $449 million, to raise funds for clean energy projects in July 2016. The NDB is committed to an equal and innovative cooperation model among developing countries. And that is rapidly growing. Like the, the amount of land mass that is covered, they said a third. With all these new countries, it's becoming two-thirds. They said it was about 42% of the population of the world. Now it, it's actually, with all the other countries, it could be approaching 90, as high as 90. Okay, like with there's a lot of countries that aren't even mentioned in there, okay? Like I mentioned them on here. I mean, just even Iran, Saudi Arabia, you got, I mean, Mexico, they're saying they're going to, they want to apply, but I think that's a threat. There's no way they can apply when they're on the board of the United States. I just don't see how that happens. Uh, I see them being more of one of the premier trading partners of the United States. I mean, if they joined BRICS, that would just be totally bonkers. That'd be crazy. Um, that would really show that what the U.S. is doing on the global stage is failing like nothing we've ever seen before in changing world orders. Like absolutely insanity. I don't think that's going to happen with Mexico. Just like Canada. It just can't. There's no way. We're, they're on our border. Okay. They're, we could do something. Just not going to happen. Not going to happen. So, what are you going to do with this information? How are you going to prepare? Okay. That's what's important. It's important that you have the information. Okay. You're not being told this from mainstream outlets. You're not being told this because mainstream outlet is the corporate press. It's owned by the same elites that are behind the central bank digital currencies. It's the same group of people. They don't want you to know before it's too late. Of course, they don't want you to know. They don't want you to know that perhaps this recession is going to be really bad. Maybe it's not, but maybe it's horrible and they just don't want you to know. They need you. They cannot lose their control over the monetary system, okay? These families and these people and these central bankers have had control for so long, they will not let it go that easily, especially whether it's to the peasants overall or to all the countries of the world, okay? So the people who control it, there's other countries like China who's trying, you know, anybody, everybody who's a part of the NDB wants to take over and, you know, they want to throw shade. They want to use the U.S. dollar less. They see what they did with Russia, like I just said, not too long ago. And so um, you are going to see a lot of conflict. And every time, mostly, I think every time, that there has been a change in the world reserve currency, there has been a war, a major war, okay? Because whoever has the current monetary system or the current global reserve uh uh, currency is not just going to let go of it. The U.S. dollar and what makes it the world reserve currency, a lot of it is not only the trust in the banking system, which is currently melting in front of your eyes, but also the military force behind it. That's why we killed Gaddafi. That's why we, that's why we went in and got Saddam Hussein. He wanted to sell oil and different in the euro. Boom, dead, dead, dead. We over, we try to give everyone democracy, which means overthrowing their government. That's all that means. Okay. It's all a hoax. It's all, it's a bananas. Okay. 
we got, we need more people to do their research and they're not willing to do their research. We need to get them the information. And that's why we do the Jonathan Kogan show. We're all in this together. This could be the last time that the elites control the peasants forever. All of history. Okay. This will be the first time we're truly free and it starts. Well, actually it starts with your communities and everyone around you and being prepared. And obviously food is, is a part of this. Money is a part of this. Energy is a part of this. All the stuff that you're seeing weaponized in real time is that we will prevail. And that's it. We will prevail. I know I disconnected a bunch of times on this. I really apologize for that. I don't know what's going on with the internet. Uh, need to fix that. We'll fix that. But I want to thank you for joining me today on this journey on the Jonathan Kogan show. I want you to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, five star rating. If you enjoy it, whatever you post as the five star rating, I will read it at the top of the next show. I really appreciate it. It helps get more views. It helps more people learn and it helps the peasants to come together. Cause as you know, we are the only apolitical pro peasant movement in the world. The biggest movement ever seen of its kind period, full stop. There's nothing more to it. That's it. Um, and so, yeah, subscribe to the Rumble channel and the YouTube channel, uh, the second YouTube channel, and um, and Twitter, at KOGZ, where all of these are posted again. Sorry for the disconnections today, but this is an important episode. CBDCs are much closer than you think. Take this seriously. Do some learning. I'll post more videos about this, but you're seeing a shift in the power structure of the elites, all right? But that doesn't mean the peasants can't come together, whether you live in Russia, China, Ukraine, America, Mexico, Brazil, Canada. It doesn't matter. We're all on the same team. Get it through your head. It's not political. It's the exact opposite. It's apolitical. Just like when the mainstream tells you something, it's always the exact opposite, like 95% of the time. Well, this is also nothing's political. They want to make everything political. But if we can make everything apolitical and come together as a team, as people, as one, as love and pro-earth and pro-human, anything can happen. We can make it out of anything. I swear I mean that. I mean that everything. If you want to donate, patreon.com forward slash ownership economy, subscribe to the podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, wherever you listen to your podcasts, and at KOGZ on Twitter, and I am out. I will see you tomorrow. I love you. Have an amazing day, an amazing evening, amazing afternoon, wherever you're in the world. You know you are loved. You are desperately loved. Please love yourself as much as you're loved by the Jonathan Cogan Show, and I will see you later. Bye.